0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Steppen Podcast. I hope you are having a wonderful day. Joining me today is Micah Current. Micah, what is going on with the weather in Ohio? I've only been here for a few months now, and I feel like I was wearing shorts and T-shirt and having the best time of my life playing outside to now. I'm telling my kids they need to dress in winter clothing to go to school. <laughs>
1: um. I couldn't answer you. I uh I was telling somebody yesterday it's eighty one day in summer and the next day it's winter and forty. So yeah, that's that's pretty much where we are. Uh I think right now it's it's thirty-nine degrees where I'm at. And um yeah. like yesterday we got up to almost eighty-two degrees. So yeah. Um and I went to lunch with my wife yesterday and uh, you would have thought we were the weather uh, people on the on the um, not well on the news and the weather channel, like covering a hurricane because that's how hard the wind was blowing. Um, yeah, it's just been a crazy spring, man. Like a lot of rain, a lot of lot of wind, and a lot of rain this spring. I've never seen anything like it. Plenty of rain in Ohio, but not the wind that we've been seeing.
0: Yeah, it has been interesting too because I just bought a uh, planter that was on wheels, uh, like a self right, like a self watering raised planter. And um, my kids were interested in buying stuff. So I bought some stuff and I'm looking at it. And it's like, oh, can't plant this till May. I'm like, well, we're getting close to May. And it's warm now. I can plant this. And I'm glad I didn't start planting anything because it would have been in big trouble today. Uh, well, if you look but, at yeah, your
1: phone, like this Thursday says to be 80 again.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Like, I just don't understand.
0: <laughs> but um, no, it's actually interesting because um, like, over, you know, when I'm working, because again, like my office is up in the third story of our house, which is kind of like a walking attic. And um, I was like, man, it's hot up here. So instead of me plugging in the AC unit, I just kind of open up the windows, open up the vent, and then just had the airflow through and it cooled it down quite a bit. Well, I didn't close the window, so when I came up here to record, it was frigid up here, so I had to go shut the <laughs> windows, and like, oh, no, and I feel, like, bad, because to get to uh, the my office, I have to go through my son's room, which means that if it was cold up here, I'm sure my son was freezing, all that cold air was probably just trickling down the stairs, going right into his room, <laughs> so, year!
1: this is a time of year where we turn, like, the heat on and, like, leave it down on the lowest setting, like, just said that it'll like 64 degrees or 65 degrees. And if our house gets down to that cool, it'll, it'll kick on. And then the same thing for the air when it gets warmer, like we just bump it up. And then, so last night I turned it, I, had to, I, I hadn't had the heat on in them was two weeks, over two weeks, probably. And <clears throat> same deal. Uh, I turned it, I turned the heat on and I don't know if it kicked on or not last night. I don't know how cold it got, mm. but when we woke up this morning, it was 39.
0: Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it's 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 wild. It is wild with this weather. And speaking of wild, Micah, do you have a stories gone wild for
1: us? You know, I I don't. I have. A, <laughs> I, I was thinking about that on, you know, on over the weekend. Well, and, well <laughs> I shared on the show that I've been in. I've been back in grad school. Uh, and we're kind of nearing the end of the semester. And, uh, I think I got an email on Thursday last week or Friday, and it was an email from the university, like a newsletter kind of thing. And it was like, Hey, only 15 days of class left in the semester. And I just panicked. I was like, Oh no, I've got to get all my work done. Um, so, uh, kind of related, but kind of not related Scott, as, as somebody who's done camp ministry and somebody who's done youth ministry and children's ministry, you know that when you order pizza for an event, how quickly that pizza can disappear, right? Yeah. You can order a ton of pizza and those kids will just scarf it down in a matter of minutes. So um, last Friday, we the college I work at uh, hosts this big festival in the spring called Spark Fest, and it's through mm-hmm. the College of Creative Arts and... Um, music does stuff and art and theater and architecture and, and and all the, all the arts come together and they have this huge festival outside and uh, they have live performances and we give away free food. We do raffles, we sell t-shirts, all this stuff. So this is only the second year that we've done that. Last year we ordered, um we ordered pizza and an ice cream truck for, uh, you know, for the food. And so it worked so well that we decided to do the same thing um this year. And, uh, the idea behind it was that it would be free. And then last year, um, we ordered the same amount of pizza and there was so much left over. People were more interested in the ice cream than the pizza this year. Um, we've decided to do the same thing. And then we had several meetings leading up to the actual event and we were like, um, should we order less pizza? Because there was so much left over. Scott, I ordered $300 in pizza, and it was gone in 20 minutes this year. And we think that it was due to the timing that we gave it away. Last year, we gave the pizza and the ice cream away around the same time. 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the festival went to 4 or 5 o'clock. And we think that it was because it was closer to dinner and not closer to lunch, and people weren't really interested in the free pizza. This year, we gave it right as the festival started, and... It was closer to lunchtime, and so folks came over. They're like, "Hey, pizza, free pizza!" Right? You know, like people were just walking yeah. through, the, walking through the quad, and they were like, "Free food!" And so we gave over three hundred dollars of pizza away in around twenty minutes, and then we sold over four hundred servings of ice cream, and like less than two hours. So, uh, I've worked my fair share of youth lock-ins and other youth events where you know we have all the hot and ready pizzas you can eat, and somehow they all get ate. So, yeah. Yeah. So, what about yeah. you? Do you have the crazy story? You always have better stories than I do.
0: Well, so, I I feel like my... Um, how do I say this? I feel like being in a youth position again and actually doing youth ministry and children's ministry, I feel like everywhere I've done it, the culture has always been so different. So for an example, you know, when I'm in Youngstown pastoring, I had a small youth group, but they were excited to be there. I would say something and it was like, okay, you know, they'd listen, they'd do whatever. And it'd be a good time. Same thing, living in a rural, uh, <laughs> a rural um, Virginia, have a great youth group. We go do stuff, have fun. Everyone's very um, kind, respectful, very same, like, you know, being in the inner city of Youngstown. Then I'm in, like, Columbus and, like, kind of like the most affluent community, (laughs) high end end, um, of Columbus. And literally, I feel like there's at least one student, maybe one or two students that I feel like I have to constantly say hey we can't go on like we can't get to the fun part unless I get through the devotional part I can't (laughs) and then we get to the fun part and it's like we can't even have fun because you keep messing around and doing stuff so for an example we we, I have you heard of diaper wars
1: yeah you shared that a couple weeks ago yeah
0: okay so I set up so I set up this our fellowship center with like like play mats and different like obstacles that people can hide behind and you know we had three we had we had um you know a good mix of guys and and girls there and it's like we're we're getting everything set up i'm trying to go through trying to talk about the rules and this guy just keeps knocking the barriers over so then we have to pick them back up i'm like we can't play the game if we don't so then we finally get to the point where we're playing the game and then there'll be things that happen. They go, oh, yeah, you're out. I'm like, well, no, you're not. Wait, you didn't say that. It's like I couldn't even get through the rules because I had to keep stopping and saying no. But even then, like the one guy who was causing all the problems, who was like and – I, and I feel like this is always like in every movie, every – book every and even in real life where you have the person who is like oh yeah i'm the best i'm the best and they are very confident in themselves and then they're like the first people eliminated in <laughs> like dodgeball or something and that's exactly what happened like this guy got hit like was the first one eliminated and again like I'm playing on the girls' team because they they're they have less numbers. We we have three hits and you're out, kind of a rule. And literally, this guy gets mad, throws the diapers, decides to go and knock over not only not are the other, the opposing side, the people he's going to get not over, knock over their barriers, but his own team's barriers. And then he walks away and he puts both fists up in the air with middle fingers as high. And I'm thinking, what in the world? So I have to be like, no, dude, no, that's un, no. That's not appropriate for church. Like, like if, I mean, if you do that at your public school, then that that's on you, but don't do it here at my, in the church, man. Come on. So, and then of course, you know, the kids are having a field day with it. It's like, oh yeah, you're so good, but you're, you're like the weakest link on your team. (laughs) So I don't know. It's just weird. It's just weird being in a, you know, I would always think that, you know, Pete, there's always the assumption that being in like lower income um, communities and being in the inner city, that those are going to be like the roughest kids, the kids that cause the most problems. And literally I've never had that experience. I feel like when I've done ministry in like very inner city or the, like, you know, the most um, urban communities those kids are like fantastic because they're excited to be there they're hungry they want to you know they're hungry for the word they're hungry for community uh, for healthy communities and relationships and it's just great and then you get to like a more suburban place and it's like oh nope like <laughs> so i don't know it's just weird i feel like what you're what's always stereotypically should be the opposite but then i find that not to be true
1: Hmm. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I was thinking about the the illustration you're giving about. There's always one kid. <laughs> there's always one kid that thinks they're the best at it, and then they get really mad or frustrated when they're the first one out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. Oh, I was going to ask you too. Like, how's you know? I said something about schoolwork and being kind of like stressed because I've done a lot of writing over the weekend. How's your your semester going?
0: So I actually have a meeting. So oh well that's a good question. Like it's funny because I have I don't think
1: you've said anything this semester or anything at all about your schooling. And I've it's, sat here it's, and...
0: so here's the thing. Like all my other classes, I mean all my classes have been great. I feel like when it comes to assignments, I'll do the assignment and I get I get a you know, I'll get an A. So I'm not, you know, maybe an A or B plus. So I'm pretty good. This semester, though, this class though, like it's probably the most enjoyable class I've been in. But the paperwork you would assume would be probably the more basic, easy thing. Um, because it's just hermeneutics. It's basically just like basic. I mean, this is like my third hermeneutics class. But what I find interesting is we're getting to the final paper, and right before we dismiss from our class, um, the professor is very clear. He goes, you know if you do everything right and you hit everything and you write a pretty good paper, that's going to be a B paper. You really have to do something special for an A. So he's kind of already saying like, if you want an A, like it has to, it has to like blow my mind pretty much. I'm like, okay. So it's going to be a bit of a challenge. But then he also said, this is also the shortest paper I have to write. It's only like 10 to 12 pages. And then not only that, he says, the professor says, you know, Basically, the whole premise of the paper is there's a problem within the church, and you're going to try to solve it. So think about you're addressing a bunch of, like, church leaderships about a potential issue in the church, and you're going to talk them through it. So it's like, okay, so it's kind of like a TED Talk, maybe. Um, But then I think the confusing thing is, is all the stuff that you're told about writing exegetical papers, it's like, yeah, don't do that stuff. Like, I I want it to be very... Bare bones, very small. So, like, don't quote anybody. If you write something, like, sum everything up and then give credit to the person. So, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, this is going to be, you know, after years of saying, show your work, show your work, and you're writing these big 30, 40 page papers. Now you're going to go write a paper that's half the size, very condensed, but you still need to have the same oomph, but you can't really use a lot of quotes or anything else. You're going to have to basically take a big quote and say, okay, I have to sum up this quote now and then just say, okay, here it is. And I'm thinking, my goodness, like, so I actually have a, I actually have a meeting with um, our professor tomorrow because I have to just, Hey, I just want to make sure I'm on the right track before I start writing this paper. Cause I feel like I'm doing good. And then I write it and then I'll get a grade and I'm like, wait, why is my grade a lot lower than I expected? Because I felt like I did everything and I'm not getting the results of the work that I'm putting into it. So I'm going to, and then it's funny because then I'll have other people in the class contact me. Hey, can you help me with my paper? Like not write it, but Hey, I'm very confused. I'm thinking, dude, I'm confused. Like don't be talking to me. Like you're the wrong person to ask. I can't help you do anything with this paper. Cause I have no clue what to do. So um, yeah, so, I mean, it's been good. I mean, I in, in the meantime, before I could have my um, interview with my professor, like, I mean, I've got all my collateral reading done. I had to read 750 extra pages of stuff. And then there's, I had to watch four videos and write a brief summary. I got that done. But all that stuff's not, not due till the 1st of May. And then my paper's due in like 11 days. So I've You're kind right. of written my, it, my final papers due to oh, 11 days. But, I mean, I've gotten like the – I kind of have the framework for it. I just need to clarify things and go, okay, am I on the right track? Because I really don't want to get too far in this paper and find out I'm doing the absolutely wrong thing and then have to go and rip everything up. Like I want to kind of – here's my – here's kind of how I'm going to flow. Now I'm going to go ahead and write my paper and then kind of be good. So hopefully that will – take care of everything but yeah it's been it's been rough and not necessarily rough by work it's just rough where I think oh this is a great paper I'm very proud of this and then it's like oh yeah this is this is like a you know be B minus I'm thinking what like really oh you didn't do this I'm like yeah I did it's right here like well <laughs> I did address this thing like wait what are you talking about so I have to go and then he'll break it down I go oh okay now I see now I understand your mind process but still it's like oh gosh but yeah how many that's, classes that's, are you
1: taking? Just one. just
0: one. So yeah, it's one class per per semester. And I have six classes, six core classes. And then I have my writing thesis. And then I start working on my project. So literally summer's my last class. And then in the fall, I have my writing thesis. And then after that, I have like two to three years that I have to work on my project and finish it and defend it and all that fun stuff and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I'm all, I'm doing two this semester. And it's the, so the first I started last fall, I took one in the fall and I took one in the winter and it was fine. This semester I'm taking two. It's a little bit more difficult because I'm just trying to navigate working full time and making sure I get the work done in each class. And um thankful that my wife kind of gave me this tip of like making a spreadsheet for each of my classes and like mm-hmm. making a list of my assignments and check boxes and what I need to do. And so I, uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm in a history of education for America class right now, and it's been a very interesting class. The teacher, Mm. like you said, is kind of comparable to yours. She's kind of tough, but she's also honest with you and, you know, will be like, Hey, could you give me a little bit more? This is great, but how how about you give me a little bit more? And so, you know, you can give, you know, a paper to her and she'll give you feedback and give it back to you. And, you know, same with discussion forums and, and, and different things like that. My other class has just been would be like right up your alley because it's a, uh, it's a, uh, we have a big, um, part of my program is electives and the other part of it is core classes and the electives. I'm taking classes from our division and one of the bigger programs in our division is esports and video games and video game design. And it's called ET, ETBD, which is emerging technology and business design. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I'm taking an IMS class, interactive media studies. 572 or whatever and it's all about esports and the evolution of esports and the history of esports and um it's just been really really fun you create brackets and, and talk about different kind you know super smash brothers and, mm-hmm. and and just like it's been really fun to just take that class and um i spent most of my weekend writing you're talking about writing earlier i've I spent most of my weekend writing my final project for that class because like i said i only have three weeks of the semester left and then the week after commencement I start summer classes and so I have three mm-hmm. classes over the summer and that's going to be if yeah. I can make it through that we're golden
0: yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah so it's been um as we move into our main topic you mentioned something like man you know life's been wild and I want to kind of throw out a disclaimer before we dive into this but um we've talked about we've went through and we kind of discussed the Hillsong documentary that was put on by Discovery Plus. We've mm-hmm. talked about uh mega churches and kind of how it's a whole different system and a whole different um way of doing ministry and sometimes we see a lot of um influencers whether it's on Facebook, TikTok, YouTube kind of you know bashing and ripping apart megachurches and megachurch leaders and then there's some people who come to their defense and saying hey we shouldn't judge people so I, I'm saying all that because I want to talk about it because there's been, been you know there's been some things that I've found out recently that I'm kind of want to address because I feel like when it comes to mega churches, it almost seems like they're kind of the either they're the scapegoat or they're the bully in the room that everybody wants to fight against that wants to band together and tackle they're the Goliath that they want to see fall down and get its uh head chopped off you know um and it seems like just recent like like probably the most recent story came out last week uh, James McDonald he was the he was the former pastor of Harvest Bible Church out in Chicago he was also on the rise of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, there's the audio of him and Mark Driscoll. And there was another pastor, I can't remember, but uh, James McDonald and Mark Driscoll were basically bragging about how big their churches are and how they have all these multi-site campuses and how they're doing everything right and making fun of the other pastor that they, he doesn't have like a satellite church, that he doesn't have a following of thousands of people attending his church and kind of was like making fun and... um and tack on that. Well, James McDonald uh, was fired in 2019 and was deemed unfit for ministry. Um, but then recently, and this was on March 22nd, um, he was arrested in California because apparently the details is is he was parking his truck when he hit a vehicle in an adjacent spot a 59-year-old woman got out of the other vehicle and then it let McDonald allegedly jumped out of his truck and attacked the victim. Witnesses came to the woman's aid and she was taken to the hospital. They also found a gun in McDonald's truck. And basically it was kind of hidden that, hey, we don't know there's an incident, but they didn't reveal names. And then eventually they came out saying that it was... Um, um, this former, uh, minister that ended up attacking this woman and there's still a court date. And of course his, his, his legal team saying, oh no, everything's been, is blown out of proportion, you know, James McDonald's innocent. So we'll see what happens with that, um, with that court case, uh, Back on April 3rd, uh, Transformation Church, which has been under fire for their elaborate uh, Easter services, <laughs> uh, singing Rihanna and Keisha songs and having these big elaborate Easter services, uh, they recently hired a person on their staff, Carl Lentz, which, again, from the Hillsong documentary, was the one who was causing, who had an affair and was very, um, again, was alleged of. um Being spiritual and sexual abuse was allegations against Carl Lentz. Well, he is hired and are basically here to help uh, transformation. um, At least from what um, the executive pastor says, we gladly welcome Carl Lentz to our transformation church staff, helping transformation church with strategy as we continue to move forward in our vast vision. We believe in Carl, his marriage, his skill set, and his restoration. So they're like, we we see quality in this guy, and we're going to help him to move our church forward with our big vision. And then two years ago, or at least I found out about it a week ago, but I best this story is two years old. But apparently Mark Driscoll kicked a family out of his church because their teenage son happened to kiss one of Driscoll's teenage daughters. And not only did he kick the church, these people out of the church— uh, but he also filed charges with police against them and also told his church not to talk to them, to shun them. And this is all coming up from a former head of security at his uh, church in uh, Phoenix, uh, basically saying that he had even had a private investigator surveilling this family 24-7. And it goes to show that as much as people are like, you know, yeah, you know, you're just jealous of mega churches, you know. They're really doing what Christ commanded them to really preach the gospel and spread it out to the ends of the earth and and everything else. But this something something doesn't seem right about about these three stories. Like these, this does not sound right. And all of them are mega churches or former mega church pastors. And there seems to be um, a lot of issues, a lot of personnel issues, a lot of. Crazy thing. So Micah, I mean, these are just like snapshots, headlines of of just these three um situations. What are your thoughts on all this? Are mega churches kind of you know the evil empire? Or is it or is it just not necessarily that they're bad, it's just they have bad people running them? Like I don't I don't get it. Explain it to me. <laughs>
1: Well, if I had the answer, I probably wouldn't be here in this moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we probably yeah. wouldn't be here if we had it figured out. <clears throat> exactly. Um, My immediate response is, with, with people like Driscoll and, um, what's his McDonald's? name? No, not McDonald. The other one from Hillsong. Carl Lentz. Yes, thank you. Carl Lentz. My immediate uh, response, biblically, is, has there been reconciliation? Mm-hmm. And has there been restoration and has there been um, appropriate steps to um, get these folks back into leadership roles? And if so, my other question would be, what was that process? And have people, has there been, you know, have, have the, the bridges been rebuilt after they've been burned? Mm-hmm. Um how do other people feel about those folks in leadership? Right. Mm-hmm. Like they're, you know, not to make this about politics, but people don't like certain politicians because of certain allegations that have been, you know, brought up against them. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you, in, in one way, shape or form, you're kind of like an elected official. Right. Like there, you, you go, you, you interview for a position, you, uh, if you're accustomed to the life of the Church of God like you and i are scott you know you get, you'll have a what's called a candidating weekend, you meet with the church and then they get try out and then you get voted on and then if you get the vote of confidence, you get the offer um mega churches are a lot different because you know they can again depending on on the association if it's truly non denominational they don't really have to abide by anything they can just hire you I think I think that's kind of where um most larger churches sit. Um, So, you know, if you're, I don't know, Scott, if you're, let's just say, let's say you're Hillsong Church, and you want Stephen Furtick from Elevation, and Stephen Furtick's available because he's no longer at Elevation. Hillsong's going to be like, hey, Stephen, you want to come be our pastor? And pretty much it's a done deal. Like, there's not really a um, hiring process as much as it's like, oh, Stephen Furtick's available. Let's 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 get him. So, um, but back to the conversation about reconciliation. Like, there were several instances. We'll just use the illustration of Driscoll and the illustration of Carl uh, Lentz that would make me think that they would never be employable in a church again. Um. And I just want to know how, um, you know, how they how they got back into leadership in a church. And is it just a matter of time before something happens where they're out of leadership again? Because, like, if you listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, you would think that Mark Driscoll would never pastor a church again. Oh, yeah. If you watch the Hillsong documentary and listen to the stuff about, you know, Carl Lentz, it's pretty damning. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it really is. It really is. Sexual assault is no joke, and the guy mm-hmm. was accused of basically raping women, yeah. and yet he's allowed to be in leadership at a church. And mm-hmm. I and and I've I've shared on this podcast before, Scott, that I've known pastors that have been let like, go from their jobs from churches for far less than sexual assault or abuse yeah. of power. Um, and so I'm just kind of perplexed um, as to how yeah. they and- how they ended up back in leadership.
0: Well, and you brought at the beginning of your of this discussion. Oh, I guess rant. Um, you, you mentioned about how well what was the restoration process, and that's the, and that's the one thing. Like even when we talked about um, uh, Matt Chandler and his restoration, and how we were confused about why he got fired in the first place or why he got kind of that leave of absence in the first place and then they said and even it said Christianity today ask about the restoration process and they didn't get back to them and i feel like a lot of times with these you know these at one point these big name celebrity pastors when they do have a fall of grace when they do have to take a sabbatical retreat or a healing retreat or or whatever language that they use They come back, they're back into these positions, whether at the same church or at a different church. And it's like, what was the restoration process? Now, granted, we haven't really been hearing much about Matt Chandler since his restoration, which, you know, okay, a good thing. We're not hearing a lot of hoofla. Um, But Mark Driscoll, I mean, when you – listen to the podcast and you hear all the stuff all the stuff that he did and everything else and you're just like okay how can this guy be a leader of a church then he becomes a leader of the church and it's like okay well maybe just maybe some of that behavior some of those things that he did at mars hill that kind of led to its implosion maybe he is reformed maybe he's changed but Not only just, you know, excommunicating in family because a person kissed the 17-year-old daughter, his 17-year-old daughter, but the fact that there's other issues. There have been some of the similar things that he did at mars hill that's happening here at trinity um even like one of the things that the security guard says that there is like a one to ten rating scale about your loyalty to mark driscoll if you're a volunteer if you're staff and if you drop below a certain number you are then no longer asked to serve or you are fired from your position and it's about and it's a loyalty scale and it's like wait a minute that's not right like and like you said like i know a lot of pastors who have been fired unjustly for things that are not fireable offenses or things where they get let go from churches over dumb things and yet here we're seeing things that are people doing awful things and very Rarely are we seeing any type of blowback, but I think the thing that really boggles my mind is that even though there's a history of abuse, even though we're seeing kind of this bullying mentality from pastors that influence, you know, other staff that kind of crashes down to trickles out throughout the congregation, and yet people still want to go and attend this church. Yeah. And it's like, well, why, why? And I and I think that's the crazy thing. Like, why do people want to attend these big churches, knowing that you're, you know, kind of supporting this type of behavior by being in attendance, and you know, and if you're giving money or tithing, then you know you're you're kind of giving into that too. And it's just, I don't know. I just feel like. It's going to be one of those things where where something's going to happen. And let's just say in a couple of years we're going to see another big implosion at Trinity where Mark Driscoll's pastoring at. Mark Driscoll's going to left. Uh, everybody's going to be hurting. Everybody's going to be in shambles. And then what? We get another documentary kind of tailing that. And what are we going to hear? We're probably going to hear – probably the same things we're probably going to hear the same stories of just this overreach of power and how they're and and I think that's the thing like even when you think about Mars Hill and everything that went wrong with Mars Hill I mean now that Mark Driscoll's kind of back in a lead pastor position do you think that he's going to make some changes to the operations manual or the bylaws that's going to kind of cover up some of those weak spots to give him more power so that no one can kind of, you know, oust him or say anything or do whatever to get him out of that power. If he is kind of using his power in a very um, non-biblical way, like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know.
1: Do you, so what kind of something would I, something that I kind of shared earlier, do you think it's the non-denominational thing? not saying that like that what they're doing is is even okay or remotely okay what i'm saying though is like for example umc or church of god or whoever you know you hold credentials through you're you're holding ordination through um your licensing and all that stuff if you or i were to do something like that and we were to get fired from our job uh, you bet your dollar bottom dollar that you know the state ministry office is going to come in and take your credentials
0: well here's the thing though because if we look back to like driscoll I mean, technically it's non denomination, but Driscoll got his ordination through the Reformed, you know, the like, you know, the, the for the Reformed, you know, church, or I guess it'd be like Reformed Calvinism. And I'm, and yeah, so if all this alleged, if all this stuff happened, and even like other, like, I mean, there's even in the podcast, they said that they had other people like a Tim Keller or a, or a, a John Paul trip, like would try to and, and speak or be on that board to investigate everything, and even they're saying like, "Oh my gosh, like this thing is absolutely bonkers." And yet, I think the reason why Driscoll didn't lose any of his credentials is because he had success. Hmm. He had a large church. He had satellite, ch- and that's at the end of the day. Well, we were minister, he was ministering the gospel to thousands of people. And because he was ministering to the gospels of thousands of people, even though his ego took him, even though he has narcissistic behavior, whatever the case may be, even though he screwed up and there's a lot of details of that, but at the end of the day, he was very successful of preaching the gospel to an unreached generation. And and it's preaching getting the gospel to Washington State where a lot of people don't follow Jesus and now a lot of people became Christ followers through his ministry. So with that, because he is successful, and because he has driven and because he has driven this high profile clout of having these big um made a big name for himself that even if he did something, of course he's going to come back. And they're going to give him a job somewhere. Because he has already proven that the Same thing with James McDonald. Yeah, James McDonald's not pastoring, but yet he is traveling around and he's speaking at places. He has a, and when he does this, if he does a little devotional or a little preaching on his YouTube page and just, you know, sitting in his office with a webcam and preaching the gospel, he ends up attracting over a million views and has over a over a million followers. And it's like, because you have that clout. It's you know, you can't get people
1: to come to church on Sunday, like the regular church.
0: Exactly. Like the,
1: you know, the church down the street.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, and I think that's kind of the big thing. It's like, well, and I think just kind of in the American society mind, the reason why I think a lot of people are attracted to bigger churches is because there's this idea that, well, they're going to have more programs. They're going to have better things for my family and, and blah, blah, blah. Where, a smaller church will not, even a mid-church may have some of that, but they may not have everything. So it's like, well, you know, we're not going to go. We'll go to this bigger church because they have everything. It's like going to, a it's like I could go to a sit-down restaurant where it's more tailored, or I can go to a buffet. And I think a lot of times we see mega churches as buffet because they have anything and anything you could possibly want, you can get at a mega church. So they go, not realizing that, you know, you could be setting yourself up for some spiritual abuse and some spiritual trauma,
1: yeah, I had a friend years ago who worked at a really large church, and he he saw pretty much the writing on the wall and there were some things that were not okay um ethically, and mm-hmm. he and his wife felt convicted about it, and so they 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 left they they went and you know pastored somewhere else and um they just felt the conviction in their hearts that, you know, they, they needed to get out of there. However, it wasn't like this, like, oh, we're gonna fight the man kind of thing because this isn't right. However, um it it's like you're saying, Scott, it, it may be too big, the the church may be too successful, the pastor may be too uh popular, almost to a celebrity style status. Um, you know, they're nationally known. You know, you have all these things, you're not gonna stop that training. You know, you can you can stop supporting it, and you can walk away from it, but it, chances are you're not going to get. You know, you know you you know what I mean. Like you're not going to stop the church from being that church, if that makes sense. And um, you know, you look at churches like like Hillsong. It, the, the stuff that we saw in that documentary were, was was pretty ridiculous. And mm-hmm. any you know, if you or I were pastoring a church of a hundred or two hundred people and you know, any of that kind of stuff happened, we would be out of a job for the rest of our life. But because it's such a global phenomenon and the brand, as they talk about, and the celebrity status of somebody like Houston or Lentz, like you have uh you just have this notoriety about you, right? Like mm-hmm. we we uh I small disclaimer, I watched Church Online yesterday because we got a I got a new piano and I got it delivered and somebody um they brought it to our house right around the time we were getting ready to head off the door to go to church. We just decided to watch it online instead. Um, I was flipping the service I was watching was over, so I turned on um Peacock, the streaming app Peacock, that's NBC's mm-hmm. app. And wouldn't you know the first thing on the the live feed of channels was Joel Olstein? That church was packed. And no matter how you feel about the man, whether you like him, don't like him, think he's great, think he's not, think you know, believe his theology. The church is packed, and he's been doing it for how many years on TV?
0: Yeah, and even and even like with a and that's the thing, like even like you know with Joel Osteen, you may not agree with his prosperity gospel message, you may not yes. agree with how he interprets the word, but you know what? I think the only controversy that has ever happened that I know of was when Houston started flooding and they thought, oh, it would be great to kind of house people within his big, large church to kind of help people who are like now without home and without shelter. And they couldn't get a hold of anybody. And they just said like, oh, he wasn't willing to open up the doors to his church to help the people who are in his own community that were suffering. Like, and, and I think that's like more or less like, well, you know, you probably had to call like somebody and they didn't answer their phone and they had to probably call somebody, you know, it's, it's, you know, larger churches, there's always a system where how do you get Joel Osteen's approval saying, yes, open up the doors. Let's have people in there. I mean, and I think later on it's like, well, he never got the phone call and he didn't know you know, that there was a need. And if he knew that he would have did it Um, again, I, I don't, re- I it was long, that's long time ago. So my facts may be incorrect on that, but other than that, like, the guy keeps his nose clean besides like people not liking his preaching or not liking the message that he proclaims. Um, it's not like he's out there doing a lot of bad things. It's not like, Oh, there's he's, he's sending people away and he's kicking people out and having an under 24 seven surveillance. Like I don't associate that, um, I don't see him like, you know, having extramarital affairs. I don't see that happening from Joel Osteen. So yeah, I mean the guy keeps his nose clean. And that's why when I'm I'm not talking about Joel Osteen, because the guy again, as far as looking I was just at, talking I, I think yeah. I was
1: using the metaphor of that just as like a celebrity. Like yeah. you were talking about a little bit before about different guys like uh the the, the, the gentleman that you're referencing that gets yeah. on a stream, for example, and he gets a million views, right? Yeah. Like the attractiveness of certain individuals that you see on a regular yeah. basis in the limelight of of, of pastoral ministry. And yeah. Joel Steen, you know, I don't have any issue with that. I just I was thinking, yeah, you know, I turned and, that on, I was like, there was a wide shot of the church that he pastors and I'm like, wow. <laughs> Twenty yeah. years later and this guy's still packing out this church.
0: Yeah. And I think that's and I think that's, you know, and I think that is, you know, he must be doing, you know, whatever yeah. Whatever their vision is, they're they're apparently whatever their vision is or whatever their mission is, they must be executing it great because you're now starting to see kind of the fruits of everyone coming to that church. Uh think it was word word of faith, is that it? Is that the name of the church? Um I think so. Lakewood but, Church. Oh, Lakewood Church. Okay. Um yeah, so I think that's uh you know, so I think that's that's good. But yeah, I don't but I just don't understand when you have people who continue to exhibit certain personality things, continue to exhibit abusive be- patterns of behavior, why you would still attend that church. Now, Transformation Church is different because they hired Carl Lentz. And as of right now, he's not the lead. He's just like a strategist. Yeah, he's, he's, like just about doing, something consulting. he's doing more consulting. So he's not even taking the main stage. He's not even preaching. He's not the lead. Mm -hmm. and you know and again i think that's what we're going to kind of find out like even though people are giving a big stink about it you know if the restoration process was good and successful his marriage is still intact and everything seems to be going well and he's using his skills and talents to help transformation church with their vision and their mission then you know good for carl Lentz. i mean i still I mean, I still have a lot of questions because the allegations were really serious allegations. And, but again, I, and maybe the reason why he's coming in as a consultant instead of a pastor, because maybe he did lose his credentials. So he can't be a pastor. So he has to do the consulting thing because technically he can't be, have the title of pastor and he can't do the pastoral things because he doesn't have that title anymore.
1: I just looked it up for, for, for clarity's yeah. sake. Liquid Church, Joe Olstein's church. It is among the largest, largest congregations in the United States, averaging about 45,000 attendees per week. The 16,800 seat Lakewood Church building, home to four English language services and two Spanish language services per week, is located in the Compact Center in Texas.
0: Yeah, like huge. <laughs> Not to mention Dude. the number
1: of people they get on TV, like views per for, for yeah. stream and TV.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, while. But yeah, I mean, and I think I think going back to, you know, the question I have, are mega churches bad? I don't think they're bad, but I would say that if you're part of a mega church, and even you got to kind of have good wisdom and discernment because and yeah, I mean, I know that certain structures and certain um how churches are run, like a mega church is going to be run a lot different than a small town country church. The way it's going to be run is going to be completely different but i think there has to be great wisdom to go okay is this just part of how things are run or is it because it's promoting a lot of more abusive or even a lot of allowing a lot of um authoritative behavior where you're really seeing that Even if there are some allegations and you want to go through proper channels, it's like, well, nope, you can't say anything bad about this person because, you know, their word is law. And it's like, well, wait a minute. This is a church. Like, this is a church. This isn't a cult. So if I see some questionable things within the pastor, I should be able to voice my concerns and not either A, get ignored or B, voice my concerns and then find out later I'm no longer a member of the church and I'm now signing an NDA before I leave the church. And then have twenty four seven surveillance on my family after I leave the church from the church that's hired by the church I just left.
1: Yeah, it's a whole different experience working in a larger church, and I know from experience, my own in my own ministry, that like it's it's culture shock going from a mid you know small to mid sized church to a large church, or a large church to a mid to small sized church, and it's like, well, you know, <clears throat> great example of that friend Josh is a creative arts pastor out in Oklahoma city at crossings church. Josh is the pastor of contemporary worship, right? They have a sanctuary service. They have a worship pastor in that venue. They have a worship pastor for young adults and youth. They have a worship pastor for their contemporary venue. They have a worship pastor for their, um, their chapel services. They have a worship pastor for their satellite campus. And so like, they have teams upon teams and he has his own admin who handles things and he has interns that handles things and he has, you know, sound people and lighting people and uh, streaming people. And like, so all that to say that he doesn't have to do it himself, right? I've worked at churches where I'm the guy that's fixing the sound problems. I'm the guy that's fixing the lighting problems. I'm the guy that fixes the slides and creates the slides and creates pastor mm-hmm. slides and makes sure the live stream's working. Oh, and by the way, I have to get up here and say, good morning. Let's stand together and worship and lead worship for a service. And then as soon as I get off the stage after I'm done praying during the message, I'm communicating with people online because I'm literally the only person at the church that's like in that role. Yes, we yeah. have volunteers and yes, people are serving and sound and, and those various areas, but I'm the person that fixes it when they have to go wrong or, or when they go wrong, or I'm the person that's troubleshooting them during the week when nobody else is there. Uh it it's it's just a vastly different working in a small to mid-sized church than it is working in a mega church because you have teams and you have people that are in those specific areas that will handle those problems appropriately. And it's just, it's, it's crazy because it's almost like a business. I was watching a service from Crossroads yesterday and they're, you know, one of the biggest churches in the country and they're here in Cincinnati. And I was just thinking, I was like, man, their production is just stellar, Mm -hmm. but they've got full-time audio engineers, full-time lighting engineers, full-time worship and creative arts directors. And, uh, Another guy just happens to be named Josh as well. You know, I, uh, I I met with him a couple of years back at Crossroads and, you know, he just sits back at the sound booth and he directs the service. He has his headset on sort of like I have on right now. And he's like, all right, lights go here. Sound, we need more uh, electric guitar here and less drums. Um, pastor's getting ready to come up in, in, in two minutes. And, you know, he directs the service from start to end and he he gives all the cues and he pretty much directs the show as it's going in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just incredible to see how much different large churches yeah. do things versus smaller churches.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So friends, as we uh, wrap up, uh, you know, what do you think about mega churches? Do you think they're just kind of, you know, it's a, because they're bigger, they have a whole different system and they have to operate a different way and, and that's okay. Or do we see them as kind of a, an evil thing that, you know, kind of contradicts with, you know, kind of what we see, or is it just kind of the team and how the leadership's trained and how that system's managed like that's kind of a corrupt thing if it looks more like uh you know if it looks more like a business model than necessarily a church model, you know is that the issue uh i don't have we don't have the answers, maybe you do. We'd like to hear from it in the comments. we would definitely love to hear your responses, and again, we would always read them on the air if you respond. Um, but friends, I hope you have a great week. Hopefully this cold weather that you may be experiencing will eventually turn to warm and we'll have more warmer days than cold days as the next couple of weeks, especially as we move into the month of May. Friends, thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a great day and I'll talk to you later.